Well now. Hmm. That's you getting me sending a sip of coffee down through the airwaves. Evening, everyone. This was going to not be a live one, but it is in fact a live one, which I can prove by... Well, I can't prove... I have literally... My phone's not here. I have literally no way of proving it's a live one, other than the fact that I can see the chat. Uh, who's the last person who said something? Uh, Tom. It's going to be another boring episode. Yeah, exactly, Tom. Yeah. Um, marvellous. Episode 165. What really happened when the Tesco tunnel collapsed? Yes, indeed. Because, if you remember back in episode 58, yes, episode 58, we um, we did an episode on the time that Gerrard's Cross Tesco fell on the railway. And we looked at kind of, uh, a, kind of a load of guesses as to exactly why that happened, but not the actual mechanism. Not the proof of the actual mechanism, although our guess was was basically correct, frankly. Um, oh, I better get my whack out because this is going to involve some scribbles. This, t thanks to the intrepid work of a a named individual who shall remain unnamed until the end of the episode, um, we got hold of the report, folks. We got hold of the HSE report, and it wasn't for it was not an easy task. Let's just put it that way. Not at all. So. Of course, before we get cracking with the episode, uh, oh, thanks, thanks for the thanks, thanks Fiona Donaldson for, for the t-shirt uh, compliments. I, it's probably I'm going to give a guess an M&S t-shirt this one. Anyway, um, lots of people saying they tend to tr tend to trust civil engineers. Don't always trust civil engineers is what we're going to find out by the end of this episode. Um, anyway, episode fifty-eight uh, was was the, was you can go if if you're watching this on catch up, go and you haven't watched the original episode, go back and watch that. Anyway. This episode is episode 150, 165, which means we have to, and and very relevantly, given that these are the trains that run on the line in question here, uh, we have a nice um, class 165 here. There it is, little two-car Network Southeast um, turbo, there it is, uh, with a variety of things going wrong on it. Uh, this this is not a picture from it that long ago, and yet you can see that the that this, this is split, and this is splitting here, and it's not looking in that good nick it, it, it must have hit something because it doesn't look like it's very happy anyway i digress um these 165s are you know the 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 body of these led to the 170s and the 172s and and basically the only the only these are multiple units really have on the network at the moment um and but they're also related to the uh, electric networkers as well so they're, they're all, all kind of a Related body shells. Anyway, I digress. Let's go on with the episode, shall we? Everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Matter. And as the Intercity 225 fades away we uh we'll start with the news actually let's just start with uh with some, a little selection of, of different news bits and pieces here first a nice tweet from phil hello phil hey philip at um at uh, rail magazine and uh, rail review and other things uh phil well worth following very incisive gets invited to lots of things that means he gets a bit of an insight into things um he and i share very strongly share the same views on level boarding amongst other things um Latest press release from Network Rail um, urging the passengers to use East Coast Mainline to plan ahead as it switches engineering works from weekends to weekdays. 
Um, okay, so and a fine example of planning ahead, Network Rail's first closure is next Tuesday. Okay, yeah, so uh, the railway is hopeless at planning uh, engineering works at the moment. But the interesting thing here is we have finally broken free of weekend-only work. Uh, I mean, okay, there were we've done weekday working occasionally here and there, but breaking out of it as the kind of normal normal way that we do engineering work is really important even when okay there's a reason why sometimes you want to do you want to do weekend only working and that's mostly about freight because your freight customers get very grumpy if you interrupt their freight trains but we can work around that ideally if we had a fully electric network that wouldn't matter too much because you could divert the freight elsewhere but even if the number of passengers you'd interrupt by doing weekday working is greater those passengers generally if you've pre-warned them they understand the railway because they use it a lot as i've talked about before therefore you're not going to impact on long-term uh, ridership whereas if you interrupt if you interrupt a load of people who've got on the train for the first time on a bank holiday and they end up on a railway bus you've lost those passengers they ain't coming back they're driving next time so um thank goodness we're stopping kind of reducing doing weekend work on on certain lines it's good uh, this is very good anyway um let us right here we go so uh grandfather road saying i drive those for you'll be right the 165s the front balances are always broken because they're always hitting um animals oh dear um so let me uh let me jump uh, to the next bit of news which is uh treat hydrogen with extreme prejudice yes absolutely uh interesting little th okay so simon aldridge is uh is a blue tick we'll, we'll just kind of uh, oops we'll, we'll simon you don't need to pay for twitter don't do that um, you are paying for Twitter by providing them content. This is a key thing. They're getting you to pay twice. Uh, don't do it. Don't rise to it. Don't entertain it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. I am unconvinced that it will increase. Uh, I, I would love to see any evidence of it actually increasing hits as opposed to just the fact that the people, there are some people who, and I know some of you out there watch, um, big shout out to Jen on the Move. Jen, you create good content. I think you'll have just created good content, which will have encouraged people on the platform. You don't need to have a, a, a blue tick. I would honestly be very surprised if the blue tick had made any difference. You just create good content, and therefore people are interested in watching your videos and, and, and engaging with the stuff you create. Anyway, uh, digression. Simon, don't pay for Twitter. You don't need to. Um, but Simon Aldridge has created a really good thread um, breaking down the problems with... Um, with certainly with blue hydrogen specifically basically with the uk's hydrogen strategy um and uh, this first opening tweet should give you a bit of a flavor of the whole thread which is the new uk hydrogen strategy looks like an exercise in providing ongoing revenue to north sea operators under the pretense of climate action it'll impose a huge cost on uk taxpayers and locks into a high emissions pathway here's why a short thread um and there's loads of good data in there well worth having a uh, well worth having a um a look through there to, to, to understand why hydrogen's a problem. And I've written about this before. The fossil fuel company uh, industry has been lobbying hard to make hydrogen a thing. And you cannot, just just because hydrogen might be a good idea in certain contexts, you cannot get rid of the bigger picture of why is hydrogen being advocated for in, in, as a replacement for conventional electrification? Why is that? Hmm. So, well worth looking at. And and by the way, yes, I do have a Google Chrome plugin that tells me whether someone has a verified blue tick or a paid blue tick. It's incredibly useful. I can strongly recommend it. Um, what is the name of that plugin? I'll tell you in a second. It is... Uh, $8 is the name of the plugin. Look look at the plugin. $8. You'll find it. Very useful. Um, anywho... Uh, there are uh, people are saying don't know about any non-diesel electrics. Uh, yeah, I think the technically I think the Voyagers are all diesel hydraulics, aren't they? 
Hmm. Anyway, Rob Brewer saying a 165 just passed his window, uh, according to Real Time Trains. 165, 136. There you are. Thanks, Rob. Um, Fiona Donaldson, given the recent catalogue of times Elon Musk has been proven to not be as intelligent as he likes the world to think, I'm pretty sure the blue tick is useless. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, Fiona. Anyway, right. Um, jumping to a very cheery subject. Cars kill children. That's that's the headline. Um, you know, Rail Natter is all about equipping all of you lovely lot with... Um, just knowledge and information and places that you can go to find out more things. Interesting stories, tales of joy, uh, tales of not joy, um, general things to um, just to, to inform you and to provide you with ammunition to make the case for sustainable transport, right? That's kind of what RailNet is all about. Um, it, it's very much a community show. It, it, I like the fact that it it's different to other podcasts in that it's going out live and you're all here telling me things and I'm hopefully, you know, it's a bit of a conversation. Um, and that, that works. I think it, in some cases it might make this less of a clipped show that means we don't have a huge audience, but we've got a pretty decent audience. And more important to me, we have a very loyal audience, which I'm very, which is very important to me. A part of this is it's an information sharing situation. Uh, everyone's saying that the uh, Voyagers are all DEMUs. They are diesel electric. Okay, fine. I suck. Um, this piece of information, this piece of information, is a really useful and important graphic, and it's a good way to present. Uh, you know, but people often talk about cyclists and the impact. You know, how cyclists uh, uh, impact on other other users. Um, how, and this one is specifically about child death. And uh, let's have a little look. Uh, we have um, the pedestrians and cyclists both result in the same number of child pedestrians being killed so, so a, a child pedestrian has collided with a normal again a, a big pedestrian and one of them has died um across the eu 27 you know the 27 eu countries so the big red numbers are the huge numbers and it's pretty obvious that the big numbers are um child pedestrians in a collision with a car is by far the biggest way that children on our roads get killed it's absolutely frightening um Follow that is child cyclists who get hit and killed by car. Actually, the next one is technically is uh, no other vehicle and child car occupants. So that's children in the car crashing into something. Uh, after that, it's child in a car crashing with another car. After that, it's child in a car crashing with a lorry or an HGV. And after that, it's then um, a child on a bicycle being hit by a car. There's a running theme here, and the running theme is car. The running theme is car. So, you know, a, a very good way to reduce the number of children who we severely injure, you know, maim, harm, or otherwise kill, is to create urban spaces that deprioritize cars. This is not rocket science. Um, so this is it's just another interesting way to present the data. I like this as a, as a form of data presentation. It's quite clear. Um, uh, other people might have other thoughts, but I, I just quite I think that's quite a, a neat way of, of, of presenting that information. Uh, and I thought I wanted to share it with you. Um, uh, and yeah, there you are. I've, I've zoomed in on it, which I forgot that I'd done because this is real now, and I forget the slides that I've created you know, moments before. Um, anyway, yeah, let's 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 talk about a happy thing, which is the class triple fives. Um, uh, it's the uh, Tynemore Metro. Look at that interface. Look at that platform train interface. It's lovely. Look at that. It's the first time they've had one running out on the on the metro uh, main line, and there it goes. It's fab. I love this. Um, Tim Baum saying that the previous graphic misses cars versus SUVs and pickup trucks. Yeah, I think it's kind of just assuming they're all the same deal. Look at this. Look at these. Look. To Stadler, obviously we love Stadler. I, I love how the Stadler 
logo just sits above the platform. That's very cheeky. Nice work. If anyone from Stadler wants to come and say hi and be on a rail natter, uh, it would be lovely to have you. Ooh, I didn't know there was a... I've only watched the first part of this video. There we go. A, bit, a view from inside the front of the cab. That's nice. Anyway, um, uh, this video just clearly just a nice a nice loop. Um, <laughs> showing, us, showing us the triple fives in action. They're lovely. They're, they're very nice. Do you know what is disappointing, though? Firstly, okay, it's good that they're essentially a mainline train, right? That, that's basically what they are. It's bad that you can no longer sit at the front. That's kind of sad. Oh, it's the, the happy team... Um, Introducing them. Ah, some of whom I've kind of worked with, because um, we're doing some of the work with that. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, right, I digress. It's good. It's nice to see that. I'm very happy to see this. It's another excellent suburban fleet. Um, Tynemuir Metro is a rich uh, seam that we should mine for some episodes, because uh, there's so much of a good story to tell. Um, but from that to complete engineering, civil engineering failures, let's talk about this civil engineering failure. <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump into the episode, folks. So, we're going to talk about uh, the collapse of the Gerrard's Cross Tesco Tunnel. But we're not going to talk... We, we've already done an episode on it, as you know. So we're going to talk specifically about what the report says happened. Um, and you can kind of have a bit of a hint as to what happened, looking at the um, the curvature that this should be versus the curvature that it actually is uh, here. So there's there's some, there's some things to see. We're going to go through the report, basically. Um, we're going to go through the investigation report, but we're also going to go through another document, which is... Um, the Information Commissioner's Office um, decision notice on the, high, the the Health and Safety Executive because the Health and Safety Executive do not come out of this episode well. They didn't come out of the previous episode well. They come out of this episode even less well. We're going to kind of, before we go into the report, we're actually going to go through a bit of a narrative to talk about how long it's and, and how much of a mission it was to get to squeeze this bloody report out of them. Um, so first of all, we start with Jackson, if we like. Um, Jackson, the contract, the civil engineering contractor that was building this thing, um, they were building this uh, this arrangement, the, the, the Tesco tunnel, which was based on a very thin. Actually, let's get uh, you know what red 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 on blue is okay. Let's let's do let's do that. They were a very thin um, kind of three pin one, two, three pin arch um, that was kind of a, a very thin structural member. So very thin kind of. Uh, what would you call them? Ribs? Maybe call them ribs. With 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 certain types of fill being placed on top to provide kind of some of that structural integrity. So kind of the compacted fill that, that, that kind of under this this thicker fill here that I'm kind of drawing a line over. That provides some of the kind of the additional structural integrity to create this kind of arch. Uh, and then the other stuff on top and then the level building that you can build your Tesco's on top of. Um, that is the... Um, that, that's kind of a lesser fill. So it's less important as a fill. Um, but we're going to go through that now. So, so they, they did that. Um, they did not con succeed in, in building this structure. Um, it collapsed. Uh, it very much failed. It was a miserable disaster. Um, and so we're going to go through some of the narrative of that. So let's start with the narrative of um, the initial failure. So uh, the, the, the run-up to the, the collapse is 1996. If you remember, we did this. We're going to go fly through this because we did this in the last episode. 1996, um, Gerrard's Cross Tesco uh, applies for planning permission, or rather Tesco applies for planning permission for the Gerrard's Cross Tesco. Uh, but it's blocked by the local authority. Uh, the decision's called in by John Prescott two years later, who says yes. Uh, in 2003, so five years later, Jackson start construction on the tunnel. They construct construction on the Tesco tunnel. And two years later... It collapses. 30th of June 2005, the tunnel collapses onto a live railway, and the high-speed... Uh, high HSE keeps throwing me. The health and safety executive commences an investigation into the collapse. Right? So here they are, health and safety executive. Uh, oh, my goodness. 
Uh, so there's there's the the gap that result when one that when the mess was cleared away eventually. Um, Costain came in. They approached it with a different thing. They essentially used a, a well. They did a couple of things. They reinforced where the art, the ribs were in place, but they also essentially used a two pin um, arch structure uh, to with, with a much thicker cross section, which would co- which costs more. It's weightier. But it was a more. They also piled here, and then they just placed all. The, they did a variety of things to basically make it easier to construct and uh, more reliable. So, building. Uh, so they they built it. Construct. Here they are, kind of bringing in the the new uh, segments. They're kind of a much stronger, um, uh, kind of a much much stronger design. Uh, fine. Uh, and then it was built and opened um, quite a bit later, actually. It was like twenty ten or something that it, the, the tunnel was actually finished. So a long, a kind of a long delay. Um, and throughout this period, in fact, we jump forward to even 2017, and uh, the Health and Safety Executive, as we, as we went through last episode, are still pushing back on actually publishing the report. They say, oh, we're going to come up... In, in 27, February 2017, they go, oh, we're going to come up with an answer whether we're going to publish the report because there's some uh, legal issues ongoing. We can't necessarily make the report public. We'll decide on this shortly. Um, jump forwards to... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the... the, the Oh, that's a bit. That's a slightly weird way around. Uh, classic editing on the hoof here. You know, you know what the deal is. To be honest, this bit's kind of irrelevant. Uh, the HSE uh, that should really be up here. So I'm going to make it up there when I fixed it. Um, oh, yeah, can I go to small face? Well, look, it's me in the corner. Hello, that's me uh, in the corner. Um, yeah, sorry, 2005. Uh, the HSE said yes, we're we're okay with them clearing the site and 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 letting trains run. That's fine. Then jump forward to 2017, and they're still going. Uh, we're not. We're, we're kind of not sure whether we can publish the report. In by 2021, they just said, "Ah, we're, our report has not been published, and there are no plans to do so." Without any explanation, they just that's that's their shtick. Um. So let's have a little look at that timeline. So 2005, the Tesco tunnel collapses onto the live railway. Um. As we know, the the Health and Safety Executive commenced their investigation. August 2005, they report the investigation is ongoing. They agree with the decision to reopen the railway. August, uh, you know, the railway then reopens on the... Tw- so that's 17th of August. 20th of August, the railway reopens. March 2006, Jackson are kicked off the project. Costain take on the contract. 19th of May 2010, Costain complete the tunnel construction. The 15th of July 2010, Health and Safety Executive ostensibly complete their draft investigation. So no- November 2010... The Tesco opens early 2015 is allegedly when they complete their investigation work, the HSE. So early 2015, by 2017, they're still not sure whether they can publish it. 2021, they just decided they're outright not going to. And then April 2021, well, we did uh, Rail Night episode uh, 58. We talked about the problem. This spurred on an intrepid individual, a skilled individual and a tenacious individual to have at the bloody HSE. And have at the HSE they did, because on the 19th of May, 2021, shortly, kind of a month after the uh, the railway episode went out, um, this intrepid individual submitted a Freedom of Information Act request asking the HSE to publish the report, basically saying, publish the report. Um, they called HSE's bluff. Um, the response to this was um, pretty much exactly the same as their, 20, as their previous response in uh, 2021, which was... Um, da-da-da-da-da... Uh, we completed investigation work in early 2015. A report has not been published. There are no plans to do so. They just repeated it. And then they are, of course, they say, I trust that this is helpful. No, it is not bloody helpful. Because if you deny a request under a Freedom of Information Act request, if you deny the request, you have to lay out a specific and allowable reason for not fulfilling the request. 
Um, and if you're not if you're not content with the outcome of the internal review, oh wait a minute, let's say so. What the next thing is, if you're unhappy with their decision, you may ask for an internal review. So what did our intrepid person, our intrepid uh, rail natter watcher do? Because uh, ref- HSE refused the request, so our intrepid rail natter viewer um, requested internal review. Um, that was the 14th of June. This story gets messier. So 21st of June, they sent a chase email just saying, uh, you know, can you give me an acknowledgement that you've received my request for an internal review? Um, HSE responds saying, oh, we've no knowledge of this request. Can you send a resubmission of the request? So our intrepid explorer sends a request again to the HSE. Um, two days later, they receive an acknowledgement of the internal review um, including the statement, HSE endeavours to respond to such requests within 20 working days. Hmm. Um, more than 20 working days later, on the 6th of August 2021, there's a chase email to the Health and Safety Executive. Another two weeks later, another chase email to the Health and Safety Executive. Two days later, so the 23rd of August, reassurance from the Health and Safety Executive, this is being worked on to get your response. A month later... Another chase email to health and safety executive. An out-of-office reply received that they would be away until the 27th of September. And that was the last email received from the health and safety executive. That was the end of that. At least until we get the report later on. So there was a sent, the email was then sent to the generic uh, health and safety executive address. Um, asking for an update. Um, absolutely nothing. So a couple of weeks later... Here we fucking go. Yes. Bring the ICO in. The complaint is made to the Information Commissioner's Office on the 4th of October, 2021. The ICO is a very important body, just like the HSE should be. Massively under-resourced as a result, of course. Um, If the body is important, the chances are it's going to be um, demobilized as much as possible. So, um, yeah, here we are. The Information Commissioner's Office. And what do they do? Well, they're in charge of uh, GDPR. Uh, so any GDPR breaches, you have to go through the ICO to fix those and, and, and report those. Uh, they're in charge of Freedom of Information Act requests. So in, in terms of, of actually administering those and enforcing those to happen. There are lots of other things the ICO do. But the ICO is a good, you know, a functioning modern government. The flow of information is critical. The ICO is a, is a really important role. And obviously they are horrendously under-resourced. So the complaint on the 4th of October... Um, about two weeks later, uh, the ICO responded and they gave the HSE 10 working days to complete their internal review. Um, uh, the, that 10 working days later, um, or rather even longer than that, to be honest, uh, our intrepid uh, rail interviewer said, uh, yeah, they, they, the HSE have not replied. ICO then explained that the HSE have now contacted them to say they will not be able to complete the internal review within the time given the ICO decide, therefore, to accept the complaint and direct the HSE to complete the review so that ICO can deal with all matters at the same time once the case is allowed, um, allocated to an ICO caseworker. Basically, the ICO went, right, we're, we're a bit busy at the moment. Um, HSE, you complete the review by the time we get round to dealing with the complaint so we can get the review and work out what the problem is. Um, the ICO, uh, received, our, 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 our dear viewer uh, emails the ICO just checking if there's been any progress. The ICO respond uh, on the same day and say, uh, sorry, no updates. Apologies for the delays. Um, that was on the 6th of December, 2021. We jump forwards to 2022. We're into January 2022 now. On the 11th, another email to the ICO to just check for an update. Same day again, the ICO confirmed, sorry, no update. Apologies for the ongoing delay. We've not allocated all the cases from January 2021 
to caseworkers yet. So they're, they're a one-year backlog at this point, much like everything in Britain. Another email to the ICO to, for no update on the 20th of April. So over four months later... Um, and then a few days later, ICO confirmed no update. Apologies for apologize for the delay. Explained they've made it to August 2021's cases, so they're kind of catching up with the backlog. Good. Sixth of June, so we get to June, which summer 2022. ICO have allocated the case, um, the case to a caseworker and request um, our intrepid explorer to confirm if there's been any correspondence from the health and safety executive, which they confirm no, there has not. Um, uh, 7th of June 2022, so we're kind of progressing. Uh, the ICO then submit a decision notice against the health and safety executive, giving them 35 calendar days to reply. Um, and we'll go through that decision notice momentarily. We'll actually read through it. Um, an email to the ICO informing them that HSE have not complied from our Intrepid Explorer. HSE, finally, a month over a month after getting the decision notice, which is, so yeah, I think pretty much bob on the 35 calendar days, they... Have the, they send an email with the report attached. They respond. Uh, so there's, there's also some missing pages in the report. Um, and then another four days later, um, after another prompt email, um, the health and safety executive confirm that the pages at the back, inverted commas, the missing pages in the report were blank, which I think we'll find out momentarily. That I don't think they were blank. But anyway, we'll get to that. So the HS, health, throughout this process, the health and safety executive has shown themselves to be a complete liability. So if we go from, like, the failure, June 2005, to the report appearing in July 2022, that is 17 months, sorry, 17 years and one month through that whole period. 17 years to publish the draft report. Not even the final report, just a draft report. Absolutely appalling. Um, HSC, you suck. You absolutely suck. <laughs> your responsibility—you're you, supposed to be the body that people can go to and, and and feel that you have got their back in terms of workplace safety, in terms of safety of the of the of the, of the sort of spaces that we share with other people on, in this country. And this sorry process has shown you to be entirely beholden to threats from private companies, entirely beholden to government potentially applying pressure to just like uh let this one slide let's not have a look like i i, I think it's unlikely that there would that a case like this would not have seen you know jackson would not have been applying pressure through every means they had possible lawyers are shouting in my ears at this point through every means that jackson had possible to hold on to this contract and avoid the report being published so mm, yes interesting anyway we're going to have a look at the, this um this decision notice because it's quite passag uh, and really shout it's nice to see the shout that the, the ico shouting at um uh, at the uh, health and safety executive so before i do that i need to make sure that i put the cursor on because we're about to go into pdf you know the deal so here we go it's our first little page turn it's a very brief page turn um always chase up freedom of information act requests uh, it's uh, always worth it always worth it um Oh, that's a very good FOA IA request, uh, Gareth, you've looked at there. Um, hospital in London took down patents by Palestinian children following inverted commas complaints. Crikey. Um, Xander Veach, how are civil engineers meant to learn from such incidents when you can't get your hands on such reports? Absolutely. This was a major civil engineering failure. One of Britain's major recent civil engineering, well, not recent anymore, one of our major civil engineering failures. And it was of a novel civil engineering structure. And we have no idea, well, up until this report being published, we had no idea what had gone wrong. It's hopeless. Really, really bad. So, sorry, I'm just sipping some coffee there. Be, be glad that I'm not eating the Jaffa cakes that I have in front of me as well. So, here we are. 
Freedom of Information Act 2000 uh, decision notice, uh, date 7th of June 2022, um, shouting at the health and safety executive. Um, the complainant, uh, our intrepid explorer, uh, has requested information regarding a tunnel collapse. The commissioner's decision is that the health and safety executive has failed to comply with its duties under section 1 brackets 1 of the Freedom of Information Act and to the extent that the information may be environmental, regulation 5 brackets 1 of the... Uh, EIR, which is the environmental, oh, uh, I can't remember. Someone Google EIR. What is the EIR? Uh, people let me know in the chat. Go, EIR. Uh, more lessons written in blood. Well, thankfully not in this instance, but it was very, as you'll see, it could have been on a number of levels. So um, the commission requires the agency to take the following steps. Confirm or deny whether it holds the, the information, for, basically confirm whether you have the report. If, uh, and to the extent the information is held, either send the report out, issue a refusal notice that actually complies with the FOIA or um, issue a refusal notice that complies with the EIR, which we're going to find out what the EIR is. Someone's going to shout it in the chat uh, momentarily. Um, Fiona Donaldson is getting triggered here. It reminds me of me trying to get my grand's lawyer to settle her estate. Oh, golly, yes. Uh, environmental impact regulations. Thanks, Chris McKenna. Lovely job. Thank you, Chris. Um, yes, uh, yes, environmental information regulations. I should have known that, really. Um, so... Agency must take these steps within 35 calendar days of the date of the decision notice. Failure to comply may result in the Commissioner making written certification of this fact to the High Court pursuant to Section 54 of the Act and may be dealt with as a contempt of court. There we are, pulling out the big guns. Uh, on the 19th of May 2021, the complainant wrote to the HSE and requested information in the following terms. Can you provide the report? da 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 Um... Marvellous, marvellous, marvellous. HSC replied to the request. It stated, HSC completed its work on the investigation in early 2015. A report has not been published and there are no plans to do so. The complainant sought an internal review on the same day. Despite the intervention of the commissioner, the HSC had not provided an internal review at the date of this notice. Um, so there we are. The complainant first contacted the commissioner. Da, 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 fine. Considering its response to the 14th of June to have been inadequate, the commissioner wrote to the health and safety executive on the 16th of October 2021, noted that the HSE's response did not appear to comply with the requirements of the legislation, which is you have to provide a justification for not providing the information. You can't just say, I oh, we're not doing it. Um, and suggested the most practical way forward would be for the HSE to complete the internal review um, with a view to making its position clear. Given that the HSE had already had four months in which to complete its internal review at that point, the Commissioner asked the HSE to complete the review within 10 working days. HSE responded to say that it was unable to meet the deadline. It noted that the incident referred to in the request had occurred some considerable time ago. The staff turnover meant that none of the original staff were still working with the HSE. It had searched electronic records, but given the need for a search of hard copy documents and a backlog of internal reviews, it estimated that it was likely to need a further month to complete the review. The Commissioner said, fine. Some six months after a request had been submitted, the health and safety executive did not appear to know whether it held any relevant information, let alone explain why it could not be communicated to the complainant. There's the PASAG bit. I love that. Rather than issue an immediate decision notice, and mindful of the burden that the HSC had already highlighted to him, the commissioner informed the HSC that he would be accepting the complaint for formal investigation. The commissioner noted that, due to his workload, he was unlikely to be able to allocate the complaint for investigation for at least three months. He made clear to HSC that he expected this time to be used for the completion of the internal review so that when the complaint was allocated for investigation, he had a clear understanding of the stance the HSC was taking. The commissioner also informed the HSC that in the event that the internal review was not complete when the complaint was allocated, he might proceed immediately to decision notice, basically contempt of court, without further warning. Uh, the commissioner has received no further reply from the HSC on this matter as at the date of this notice and therefore considers that a decision notice is necessary. The commissioner considers that the scope of this notice is to determine whether HSC has complied with its duties under FOI and the EIR. Um, basically, it's saying, 
information, environmental information is categorized as this, 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 this. Uh, Commissioner has not seen the request information, but um, as it is information related to the collapse of a railway tunnel, he considers that a substantial proportion of information is likely to be information on the state of human health and safety in as much as it is affected by the elements of the environment, or blah, 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 fine. So according to the EIR, um, uh, da, 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 it has to issue a refusal notice and cite the regulation of the EIR that the information is not held. Um, HSE had not issued a refusal notice um, or indeed any other exception from the duty to disclose environmental information. Um, so, yeah, HSE has failed to comply with uh, its uh, uh, duty under EIR, but also Section 1 brackets 1 of the FOI, FOIA. Again, um, the Commissioner considers that the request in question fulfilled these criteria and therefore constituted a valid request for recorded information at the date of this notice, the HSE had not informed the complainant whether it held any information with this request. It had not issued a refusal notice. It had not communicated any non-exempt information. The commissioner therefore finds that to the extent the HSE holds non-environmental information within the scope of this request, it has failed to comply with its obligations. Um, it's the HSE's right, as with any decision notice, to appeal this decision if it considers the commissioner has applied the law incorrectly. However, in the absence of a success successful appeal, the commissioner wishes to place the HSE on notice that once the decision has been complied with, should the complaint remain dissatisfied, he will proceed immediately with an investigation under either Section 50 or FOIA, uh, sorry, basically under FOIA or EIR. So there we go. There's our little, um, and that's Roger Cawthorn, the, uh, who's the senior case officer on behalf of the Information, information Commissioner. There we go. Thanks, Roger. Some seriously good work there going on. Um, uh, Matt Reed asks, can the HSE be taken to court for not following the requirements? Yes, it can. Absolutely. Um, uh, Mike Freeman, I'm a claims adjuster and was involved in the epic negotiations over liability on this clip. Holy shit, Mike Freeman is here. Uh, whew. Right, here we go. I'm the claims adjuster and was involved in the epic negotiations over liability on this claim. I've already said too much. Luckily, I've also forgotten most of it, but I do know my side lost. Oh, Mike. Well, welcome to the party. This should be fun. Let's, uh, yeah, let's, um, <laughs> okay, good stuff. Right, that's fun because we're doing this. We are going from the decision notice to the investigation report. And the first thing I want to point out is, um, I don't know if you can see it here, but I'm going to zoom in on it. You see that there is, this is the, um, this is the contents page. We have part A, which we've got. We've got part B. And then we have transparently a piece of paper placed over the information at the back end of the report. Because this isn't the whole report. This is just part A and part B. They've put bits of paper over and are hiding some other elements of this report. Likely the, 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 the formal conclusion and recommendations. Which is very, very annoying and, and frankly inappropriate. So, uh, firstly, let's just escape this and control L again so we get the nice, nice full page thing. Um, so if I jump to the very end, uh, spoiler alert, flashy pages... See, 23, and it doesn't just... 23 of 25. So there are two pages missing of this report. They cleverly... No, they didn't cleverly hide how many pages there are, but I would suggest that the conclusions are what we are missing. And that's very annoying. Um, this is this version of the report is actually... They, they've done a very bad... The HSC have done a really bad job of redacting this report because they've left a few names in. So I'm using the version that Gary Keener has filtered and, and sanitised and put onto the Railways Archive. We'll come to that later. Anyway, let's do this thing. Let's let's talk about this. Um, uh, that's a good question. Mike Freeman, are you still under NDA? I don't know. What, what, it depends what Mike signed. But uh, it'd be interesting. Very interesting. Uh, is it legitimately a sticky note? I don't know if it's a sticky note. I think it's just a piece of paper that they've cut and placed over, kind of glued on. Um, anyway, 
Uh, right, so let's go. We, we can skip some of the Part A investigation details. We can look at who's all the people involved. Fine, you know, all the different companies and organizations involved. Lovely. We know what's happening. Um, role holders here, uh, sorry, duty holders here, uh, addresses. We don't need to kind of go into that. We've got various bodies. Location details, we don't need to worry about that. Na uh, name and full office address of the lead investigator. Fine. Uh, other investigators. Good, good, good. Lovely, lovely. Uh, there's ONR investigators there. Um, fine. So, the com investigation commenced. Also, what's quite annoying is that they have redacted when it finished. It's like it's like it's like they're embarrassed over the mistakes they've made. I, it really is not good. Um, right. So there's a brief executive summary here. Um, we don't need to worry about the. That's the executive summary of the accident. We don't actually go into the thing. So let's go into the factual report. Let's let's part B. This is the bit we want to dive into. Um, so, uh, Gerard's cross there. Um, so this, this by the way, is not the final report. This is, I think, basically like the quick template they use, which then goes to the people who then create the slightly flashier version of the report. Um, Matt Reed asked, did the RAIB issue a report? Now, if you remember the previous episode we did on this, episode 58, Matt, it was before the RAIB existed. So in October 2005, the RAIB came into existence, and they would have picked this up had they existed. This was a perfect case in point of the failure of, oops, sorry, just hit the mic with my mug. Uh, a perfect example of why the HSE was absolutely unfit f to to kind of undertake this stuff. Um, uh, Xander Veach is saying the post-it note must be illegal. There must be a legal basis of demanding a rescan of the first page uh, or the total list of contents. If any of you want to pick this up more uh, and continue to press the HSE on this, with all the information that you've got from our intrepid hero who provided us this and forced the HSE's hand, go for it because i would be keen to see what has been redacted out of this because there is i don't think there's a reasonable basis for this to continue to be redacted um, um anyway so yes uh, station incident location we don't need to talk about that history many years ago around 1960 it was mooted an office block could be built over the railway by expedient of covering the tracks with a tunnel backfilling then constructing said building technically this is not a tunnel rather a covered way further attempts were made post 1990 to progress a similar project and rail track identified tesco stores limited as a partner to sponsor the scheme but this time for a supermarket the rail track finding a way to make some money uh, this involved construction of a covered way tunnel in very commas and supermarket car park above the operational railway the green light for construction was given in 1998 by the then secretary of state for transport john prescott this despite much local opposition Initially, the scheme was to be a two-track affair, but in 2001, following representations made by freight operators... I don't need to read all this stuff. Fine, there's discussion about future-proofing for freight, various things, floor-level height of the proposed store need to remain. The designer kept the crown of the arch at the same level as in the four-track scheme, but to provide four tracks um, in this location, it needed a flatter arch, which changed the type, kind of the shape of the design. So... Chronology of the actual project. So 1990 to 2001, was, you had the feasibility studies. This kind of standard stuff. May 2001 was the Form A, which is an outline design concept. We still create Form A's, um, which is developed by White Young Green, which is interesting because White Young Green, in York at least, White Young Green got gobbled up by Amy, but most of the White Young Green people, under a chap who I won't name, but he had to skip the country, jumped <coughs> over to Hyder Consulting, um, and all of the staff from White Young Green, including quite a lot of their jobs as well, got pulled over to Hyder Consulting. Um, and, uh, yeah, shenanigans ensued. Hyder Consulting became Arcadis. That's what I currently work for. So, um, anyway, this could be fun. <laughs> Let's keep going. June 2001. Tender document incorporating the Form A were um, 
issued to prospective tenderers, so basically going out to contractors to actually work out how they're going to build the thing, um, and ideally under a DMB, a design and build scheme. So the final detailed design, the outline design is used for tender, the detailed design would then be completed by a contractor and its subcontractor, which would have been a design consultant. Um, so that June 2001, the pre-tender health and safety plan was issued by White Young Green, fine. Uh, Gleeds uh, prepares a report on the first stage tender process, uh, identifies four suitable candidates, they then produce costs. Fine, fine, fine. So we jump, jump, fine. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Jump forwards. Um, let's see. Uh, jump to 2003. In fact, 2004. Well, Network Rail appoint Carillion uh, Rail for ASPRO, Asset Protection uh, Possession Management Work. So all the railway-based stuff, Carillion Rail are going to be the, the contractor who are in charge of that side of things. For the most part, not a huge amount of stuff. You know, once the railway... You know, ideally, they're just building it over the top of the active railway, and, and, and that's that. So, uh, 24, so April 2003, the contracts are signed by Tesco to appoint a principal contractor, uh, the parent company of Jackson Civil Engineering Limited. Uh, planning supervisor, who's going to be White Young Green. Project manager, supervisor, quantity surveyor is going to be Gleeds. And then an in the Cat 3 checker for the design is Atkins. So, um, all me old muckers in amongst it. This is uh, a particularly interesting, uh, fun situation. Anyway. April 2003, okay, the air rights agreement is signed defining the safety obligations of both parties. Um, that continues. Uh, then this starts getting more interesting. So April to May 2003, uh, Jackson Civil Engineering changed the backfill design. So previously they were single sourcing the limestone, 6N rated limestone. They changed to limestone fill around the arch with mass fill of uh, incinerator bottom ash Um for the rest of it so previously the whole lot was going to be um limestone so it was all going to be just limestone 6n fill and then jackson changed that to be limestone fill and then cheaper material around the outside um the reinforced earth company uh, their check on the art structure for this revision um follows um and white young green do a design check for the foundation loads thereafter um okay we'll find out what the, the result of that is um there we are. So May 2003, site clearance. June 2003, piling work starts on the site. Uh, March 2004, Jackson Civil Engineering Limited circulate the arch backfill procedure. So the actual proposal that they're going to have. So actually, let's 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 bring this up. Actually, let's let's get the sketch up. So originally, this was all going to be six N fill. It was all going to be six N fill, and then they changed their mind at the last minute. I'm actually going to get my. I'm going to use a white uh, yellow pen here, maybe because I think that might be a little clearer. Uh, maybe white. White could work. Yeah, you know what? White is nice and clear. So originally, this was all going to be the same type of fill, 6N fill. Jackson, presumably to cut costs, um, decided this was going to be the 6N, the high-quality, basically structural, a semi-structural fill. This would be 6N, and this would be kind of ash, cheaply procured ash stuff dumped on top. Uh, and then they actually provide this, this as it were, trapezoidal shape. They then um, provide that spec, um, as we see here. Um, yeah. Uh, they circulate the backfill procedure, including the trapezoidal 6N sleeve placed first, followed by the um, incinerator bottom ash aggregate, the IBA, surrounding it. Circulated to Gleeds and Network Rail's site team. Uh, Network Rail extend the contract for the ASPRO because the project's kind of rolling on. Uh, in July 2004, the arch unit erection commences, so they start putting the concrete pieces in. Uh, the backfill method statement is uh, issued by Jackson's in December 2004. Um, then through 2005, um, partial sanctioned by the Network Rail representative of the ARCH method statement. They then start their backfilling on site. Um, 
between so that's from January. By the time we get to June, kind of from mid to late June, there are large arch deflections reported by JCEL. We'll come to the detail of this. Uh, large arch deflections reported by JCEL. Site engineers to the site managers. So Jackson's site engineers report to their site managers. We're seeing large arch deflections. We'll get into exactly the conversations that have, which are frightening. Um, by by the end of, by 28th, 29th of June, um, they start kind of the platform freeze portal on the arch crown commences so they start kind of creating a a platform um to start constructing the the, the east portal of the the arch crown that commences on the 30th of june the east portal concrete pump method statement is issued and by the end of that day it all collapses in on itself so there's there's where six n fill is just a, is a limestone aggregate a compressed it's a high quality aggregate that has reliable predictable and narrower um, structural capabilities so you can predict pretty pretty accurately what it, how it's going to behave so you can use it as a structural uh, element so okay bunch of people involved let's skip forward a bit so all the people involved fine tender stage not hugely relevant so fine there's there are four different you know Skanska, Costain, Jackson and Taylor Woodrow um, uh, kind of uh, took this on so basically the, the white young green were the ones who came up with the, the snazzy fancy proposal um Skanska cost what's interesting is they've I think they have just hidden the names rather than the companies they're going into bed with um yeah white young green invo invited a shortlist of four tenders for a second stage tender meetings which include network real personnel to clarify scope and answer queries fine um Jackson were appointed um uh, around May 2000 so so fairly quickly Jackson say actually we could use this uh, incinerator bottom aggregate or bottom ash aggregate as an alternative to the original design white young green assessed the change um the effect of this change on the arch units was checked by uh rico who's this um reinforced reinforced earth uh contractor um they incorporate the, so then white young green incorporate the Ch jackson's change into the catch cat three check regime so that is a detailed check by an independent party um da -da 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 -da. This all happened very rapidly after Jackson's appointment as principal contractor, and it was during a value engineering exercise, so fine. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, let's see. Uh, they were entitled, you know, Jackson's were entitled to make that change, but it obviously had to be proven as safe by the designers. So, uh, White Young Green continued to undertake the detailed design of the, of, of the tunnel. Um, Rico were using the kind of the, the reinforced concrete earth. Um, using a kind of their te uh, Rico's tech span system uh, developed by a sister company in Spain. Fine. Three pin arch. Lovely. Um, uh, da -da 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 -da. So that's fine. Beach project is largely bespoke uh, because of the shape of the arch. <sighs> there's, there's a lot of stuff about what that system looks like. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. So there's a manual. There's a manual about the, the required backfilling process. Um, and and the the fact that you have to be very you have to backfill and compact and it it has to be done to the required specification because if you don't do it to the required specification the arch will deform you'll get plastic hinges and it'll collapse which is exactly what happened here, um, so continuing on this sensitivity aspect, um, the representative from Rico states the design intended backfilling sequence leads to the crown deflecting above its initial position as the backfill is placed on the arch the backfill to the sides provides restraint and the arch deflects downwards close to the design position if backfill is not placed as the design intended as in this case 
the restraint will be reduced and the deflections increased. The result of this will be to increase the stresses in the structure and reduce the overall factor of safety of the design. When you do a design, you always have a factor of safety in that design. So you've got the, the loads, you've got your expected, uh, the design and what loads, you've got the loads that, the, 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 that you've designed the structure to take, you've got the loads that you expect the structure will take, and there'll be a multiple of each other. And ideally, you, you, know, you have a safety factor of, of, of one and a half, two, five, depending on what sort of structure you're building. Um, yeah, I, I, this might end up being a well edged Problem podcast episode if they want a, a hilarious sort of... Um, uh, and I'll, I'll do... but I'll do. It won't be a page turn. It'll be more of a WTYP-style episode if, if they want that as a, probably as a bonus episode. Anyway, um, uh, Rico had no on-site role. They never visited the backfilling operations and they were unaware that the backfilling arrangements were contrary to their design intent because the backfilling arrangements had been changed. Uh, uh-oh. There's there's a red flag. Why on earth are they not involved? Um, so that's obviously a bit of a problem. Anyway, um, fine. So Macrit made the concrete sections, not a problem. Uh, it should be noted that at the outset only 6N uh, was envisaged, but this was changed to a mix of 6N and, and the and the other material, the IBAA material. Uh, Jackson proposes alternative arrangement. Uh, yes, circulate the, the proposals. Yes. Um, fill placement procedure indicate that the trapezoidal sleeve of 6N material and the arch should be placed first along the length of the tunnel. This would then be followed at a later stage by IBAA fill over and around it. This document was not sent to the designers. Oh, another red flag. So Rico aren't in the loop, and now the designers aren't in the loop on this change. Um, the designer's intention was that all backfill material should be placed across the full width of the excavation. The two methods of backfilling were therefore inconsistent with one another. See also, there's a drawing that we ought to see here. There's a drawing reference here, 2101 Rev F. We should really have that drawing. To learn and understand from this, we should have that drawing as well. Anyway, so the, the backfill arrangements were discussed between Jackson's White and Green and Rico about this change. Jackson's initiated the change, had to manage to deliver the change design under the terms of their contract. We are not aware of any calculations undertaken prior to the collapse for the loading situation created by placing a trapezoidal sleeve first and IBAA later. This was not part of Atkins's Category 3 independent check, not part of the Cat 3 check either. Um, the key thing about this is that the density of IBAA, therefore the way that the weight is distributed on that arch, is less than of 6N. Atkins confirmed that Cat 3 checks did not include any intermediate stages of construction. The Cat 3 check just looks at the final state of the design, doesn't look at temporary works. Um, or it certainly didn't in this case. Uh, so lots of red flags flying up at this point. Not good. Not good at all. Uh, site events. So, <laughs> yeah. Following a successful tender, here's a key one, folks. Lowest of all by some margin. Approximately three million quid cheaper than everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, Jackson's started work at Jarrod's Cross around May 2003. Initial work was site clearance and surveying. Where's, where's, where's our man Mike, by the way? Uh, no NDA on this one. I've signed them on a few claims. Uh, I've signed them on a few claims, uh, like ones involving celebrities or government figures and kidnap ransom terrorism claims. Crikey! There's no NDA, Mike, which means tell us everything. Um, oh, people are asking what W6A is. Yeah, that's the basic GB loading gauge. It's not really. I'm just kind of there for illustrative purposes. Um, um, let's see. Episode 58. No episode. It wasn't a page turner because there was no report to look through. It was a. It was a storytelling uh, one. Uh, Xander. Um, was there a guest from or connected with RAIB on episode 58? No, because the RAIB wasn't involved. Um, no RAIB. Uh, it was just, it wasn't even a page turn. We just went through the story as best I could piece it together. So many red flags. Yeah, absolutely, Graham. So, um, 
HMRI, Hamas's railway inspector, um, uh, they they approved. Uh, yeah, they, approval was obtained for the project under the the ROTS regulations, which has been subsequently replaced um, as uh, ROGS now. Anyway, um, they were the inspectorate within HSE until two thousand six. So it's just pointing out that that's then then that went over to then they went they, they were dragged over to ORR. Um, their approval referred in the par- to in the paragraph above was actually a no objection letter in accordance with the ROTS regulations. So that's now ROGS. Um, so it's based on the, the a submission. It's the Form A document and the supporting information. The Form A document is an important step, but it is the Form A didn't have this change in fill. It didn't have any of that. That's just the tender design that went to HMRI. Um, uh, it would so just said it'll deliver this stuff. It'll imply, comply with railway group standards. Blah blah blah. Fine, fine, fine. Um, it also confirmed Tesco that the the consulting engineers had done enough research to justify the statement of intent of the Form A. It's a very important principle of the former. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, if the design detail, design implementation and construction features result in deviations from the original form A parameters, there needs to be a resubmission of the form A. So the change that had been proposed by um, Jackson's should have merited a redesign at the form A stage. So right jumping back to feasibility, sorry, outline design phase. That did not happen. Um it should also be noted that acceptance required by senior engineers at various levels in network rail's organization. So, you know, structures engineer would have accepted it, civil engineers, uh, the RAMs. In fact, they've got them here. Yeah, the territory civil engineer, principal asset manager for structures, the senior bridge engineers, uh, the county council. Um, and they would not give them their acceptance to the form A submission lightly. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to note that a reviewing engineer would not sign any acceptance to the form A submission if there were doubts about the con if they, not he, if they had any doubts about the concept design or until any queries had been clarified or explained, um, blah, 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 blah. So fine. Uh, thus, in the information collected, we see um, that the engineers from Network Rail had raised many issues about the design concept of the Form A submission. They sought clarification on all these matters before acceptance was given. So the piling works commenced. Um, so, And there's a subcontractor that's been brought in by Jackson's to commence the, 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 uh, the erection of the tunnel segments and and another to do the piling fine um the piling contractor said apart from poor ground conditions and lighting um there appeared to be no problems with the erection of the concrete sections fine uh sorry that's not the piling that's the erection directors the concrete erectors fine so we get to the backfilling this is where the fun stuff starts uh it was undertaken by clark construction it's a local company they're the contractor to jackson's but jackson's as with everything in britain our fragmented industry jackson's didn't do it themselves they contracted out to a subby the subby was clark construction um so they started the, they're, they're only a 35 head organization they start the backfilling um and they compact within the cutting using material supplied by jackson's although two grades of material were required it was envisaged they would be from a single source and and would be both be crushed limestone um fine there's a quarry with a railhead nearby. Fine. Um, so that's fine. Lovely. Blah, 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 blah. IBAA, less dense, uh, 1A material. So it's less density, but it still behaves basically the same way. Prior to the backfill operation commencing, a fill placing procedure document had been issued by Jackson's. Um, it said the fill should start with 6N, making an annulus around the tunnel, working from west to east, so that, that trapezoidal shape. Um once complete, they then put this IBAA, this less dense material, on top. Um, they start east, move west. There is to be a whole road to the eastern end on a 1 to 10 grade. So, to execute this procedure, a method statement 
was prepared. Um, it was uh, by Jacksons and Clark, um, signed off by someone from Jacksons. Um, the basis for the method statement: there were white, young, green, and, and Rico drawings. The manual by Texpan, so the creator of the, the concrete, uh, kind of the design of the concrete. Um, and um, yes, so it was also accepted in inverted commas by um, the design project engineer for the, the kind of the, the the DP at Network Rail. The, the said design is designated project engineer actually is the name of the anyway fine. Uh, basically, the technical person in charge for Network Rail side for the project um, via the the asset protection sort of contract. Um, Network Rail had no site role. They were involved in supervision of working methods as far as asset protection the railway from contractors activities were concerned, which is in accordance with the rule book. Fine. Um, in this instance, the DP reviewed and rejected the above method statement, asking the question on Form G2, will fill be placed to a uniform level across the full width of a cross-section, or will it ramp up or down locally at the arch in order to maintain the correct fill level differential between the north and south sides? Uh, they ultimately accepted the method statement when he was given to understand that the fill would be placed up and brought up across the full width of the cross-section. Um, so that backfill method statement was never sent to White Young Green, never sent to Rico, according to uh, someone else. Certain aspects were discussed with them, and there was a bit of a design check done by Rico, but basically it sounds like that method statement didn't actually reach the people it needed to reach. So there's another red flag. We've got. I've already lost count of the number of red flags I'm kind of holding, kind of tucked into my elbow at this point. Oh my goodness. So the method statement said, place it either side of the tunnel sequentially. No, there must be no differential between different sides of more than 0.5 meters in height. Um, should be placed, the 6M was to be placed in 100 millimeter layers. Um, blah, 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 fine. So lovely. They've got a roller which they're using to compact materials. Um, but the method statement is not it's not clear how the fill how that fill should actually be progressed in uh, in in that method statement the word sequentially is ambiguous um oh there's another name that's not that even Gary's missed uh, redacting but that's fine we don't need to worry about that uh, no one can see so keep going down through here the presence of the unrestrained trapezoidal sleeve of 6n material um is significant uh tesco's expert report which is subsequently procured uh, refers to unprecedented departures from the intended design language that suggests a gap between the backfilling practice around the arch on site compared to good practice uh -uh. the three points mentioned above so um yeah yeah the th kind of all this stuff that we've discussed um and the trapezoidal fill issue need taking into account when judging the management systems on this project yeah fine um, I have no doubt that it allowed us to build the way we did in terms of putting six... Uh, I have no doubt that the method statement allowed us to build it the way we did. Um, I don't know who exactly is saying that. It could be Clark saying that. Uh, Clark, the contractors, the subby. Um, so there's nothing on that drawing that indicates to me uh, uh, that we needed to uh, fill it into the full cutting width right the way up the tunnel. Further, he states that he believed the way the method statement says the work to be done was correct. Hmm. I don't know who that is. Either it's Jackson's or Clark's, but kind of it's moot really at this point. Uh, more red flags than a communist party uh, parade, says uh, the new IK IKB. Um, yeah, Air Air Elastic says they really need to change it. So if it's if it's he, only men are liable. See how fast they change every single document from that point onwards. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I like that logic. Um, right, let's continue. Specification did not require any. This is painful as well. The specification did not require any deflection monitoring of the tunnel sections. 
as to their relative positions during during and post backfill, although there does appear to be the need for monitoring of settlement plates. Indeed, uh, someone was unaware that White Young Green requested tunnel crown monitoring during backfill in March 2005. He doesn't know if any results were so passed, nor can he recall if his own engineers uh, gave him the information. Uh, they said they gave it to him, or uh, although uh, those people did say they'd give it to, given it to him, we'll get there. This is the various people on site giving their supervisor site engineers given to their site supervisor similarly someone else was also unaware of any requirement in the contract for monitoring so yeah white young green wanted deflection monitoring of each uh, of the arch units um right so let's talk about the monitoring um blah, blah, blah. so eventually jackson's did monitor the units for deflection and the results were ignored there are some very large deflections, greater than 150 millimeters, which did not result in any action by Jackson's site management. Thus, had the works been completed without collapse, large areas of the structure would have been in a condition not foreseen by its designers and hence well outside design parameters. No one on site was aware of the situation at the time it occurred. Oh, good grief. So that's like, even if it hadn't collapsed, there would have been deformations and, and potential hidden fail, hidden creeping failure modes within that structure that mean it could have collapsed without anyone no really knowing that it was going to do that uh, onto a train at some other later point so in a way it's almost good that it did collapse um just woof so let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the fill material so the, the so they're kind of placing this fill uh they created the, an created the annulus ring around the concrete tunnel sections to provide that kind of kind of trapezoidal um section um that there was kind of light compaction, then larger kind of heavier plant would then compact it further. Uh, that was towed around. Um, the, the method statement emphasised the fact that you didn't want to have differential heights. So when I'm talking about differential heights, I mean, I mean here and here. So it's basically saying don't this level. Sorry. So like, if if you're up to here, the level on this side should should be um, should be plus or no greater than plus or minus 0.5 meters from this from the other side. So it's sort of saying, do this equally. Like, do this equally. That's a, a really key thing. Um, so here we go. Lots of backfilling. Um, compaction, specific, uh, compaction specifications were detailed in the contract with Clark Contracting, uh, dated 24th of February. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, Clark took their instructions exclusively from Jackson's. Their foreman was this person who dealt principally with that person who is the general foreman from Jackson's. So there's a site engineer from Jackson's overseeing the um, backfill. Uh, he never saw the method statement prior to the tunnel collapse. What? There's another red flag. Just, just pulling. I, I'm having to like Amazon Prime order more red flags at this point. Um, he never saw the method statement. Uh, he looked for it but could not find it. Um, so he interpreted the drawings and was briefed by a colleague who was leaving for Australia. What? This resulted in compliance with the method statement. Did it? Okay. Uh, so and so was not aware of the highways specification series 600 documents these are some documents i haven't mentioned earlier but they're documents that also talk about how you do this sort of fill um though he had seen rico's tech span manual and addendum um so someone was concerned that clark contracting was not fully aware of the backfilling process but no action was taken by the site agent oh my goodness me okay okay you can see the beads of sweat coming down from me here so clark contracting always received their instructions verbally from jackson's uh, did have a copy of the backfilling method statement. Um, he says when he took charge from the 4th of April, some of the backfill was in place and he carried on as per the method statement along with his Clark contracting staff uh, with some other people from Reynolds Installation. I don't know who those are. Um, some people say that his men created a ring, a trapezoidal profile, around the profile uh, tunnel of 6N before the IBAA was brought up in 
one meter lifts on either side, consistent with the maximum 500 mil differential in height restriction. Fine. This is benched into the 6N using the dozer and then compacted. Thus, there is a sleeve of 6N around the tunnel and between it and the embankment edges. Um, that's a bad sentence. I don't quite know what they're saying. Basically, right. Then they deposited the IBAA over the top of the tunnel to the finished level. That was how the job appeared to proceed until 29th of June 2005. So the method state was, was apparently being followed, but this was not in accordance with the with this kind of overarching broad highway standard um, spec, uh, the highway specification series 600 earthworks. That's the, the kind of the, the broad specification document. I think possibly has been, I don't know whether that sits within the DMRB or, or somewhere anyway within a highway spec. Sometime in early to mid June 2005, Jackson's asked, the Jackson's senior engineer asked another Jackson's engineer to check the intrados levels. This is the intrados. Where is it? This is the intrados here. There's the intrados. Um, this is the extra DOS here. This is the intra. Why am I writing this with my mouse? Intra DOS. Um, there we are, just for, for clarity. Um, the West was lower than its design position by 125 millimeters. So this is early to mid June. Lower than its design position by 125 millimeters. Remember that Rico said that it should be higher than its design position until all the fill is placed. In this case, it's lower than its design position by 125 millimetres and was roughly the same at the other end. There was no fill over the tunnel at the Marsham Lane portal. He double-checked from a different location with the same result. He passed his results to someone else, who then passed them on to either someone or someone else from Jackson's. Nothing resulted. Similarly, uh, some other Jackson's engineers had also checked the tunnel crown levels uh, before the 10th of June 2005, and at the east end, it was 147 millimetres lower than shown on a white young green drawing. They reported this to presumably this supervisor, but they were not too concerned as they thought thought it might be a tunnel geometry problem, inverted commas. I'll just say that again. Thought it might be a tunnel geometry problem. Um, yes, check that. What What do you mean by that? Thought it might be a tunnel geometry problem. Then, yeah, and they didn't do anything about it. What? Th what? Further, someone else uh, redacted on the 28th of June 2005 asked... These redactions are bad. If you do redactions, you should put the role in, even if there's the names. Like a bad report, right? They put the individual names, not the roles here. Uh, 20th of June 2005 asked someone else, because it's difficult to exactly know who's screwing who over, to take further crown level measurements. So, measurements on the, so the 28th of June 2005, further crown level measurement, uh, measurements, resulting in measurements showing nearly 200 millimeters lower at each end. This was reported to uh, someone else, presumably the supervisor, but it's not known what they did with the information. Oh, golly! In the afternoon of the 29th of June, 2005, um, the site engineer told, well, presumably the engineer told the supervisor and someone else who worked for Clark Contracting that an access road level area to site a concrete pump was required on top of the tunnel. Here we go. It's never one thing, is it? So all of a sudden, they're now needing to create an access road. The concrete pump was coming to site on the 1st of July. No method statement for the fill aspect was prepared, though. So and so and so and so on. And the J Jackson engineers discussed the pump's position. The pump was for use with a mass pour at the Marsham Lane end of the site, as required by Network Rail, who didn't want reinforced earth, but rather mass concrete at the east portal. 6N covered the tunnel at this point. The access road consisting of spreaded fill, presumably IBAA, it was about... Uh, it was to be about 30 meters long to the protection boards positioning of the place where the so right they're, they're positioning the where this access road is going to be 
Um, someone else, so someone else at the sides of the tunnel. Uh, wait a minute, sorry, actually, I'll jump, jump, I'll jump back. So um, this this access road was to be as far back from the east portal as possible and central over the crown of the tunnel to feed both sides. Actual measurements were 34 meters back from the portal as the pump had a 32 meters meter boom. This was done a number of times as depositions of the IBA would obliterate the sprayed markings. So they kept creating this path over the top of the crown. Bearing in mind that this crown is already bad. So our crown is already doing this. We know at this point that the crown is already doing this. Basically. So it's we're creating plastic hinges here and here. And that's why we've got this because there's not enough there's too much load on the top and there's not enough load on the sides pushing the arch in so you need more so there's let's just so so this is creating i'll just draw this again the reason for this is that there's the the, the these this is too small uh here so it's not enough to push the arch and, and, and ensure the arch is being evenly spread and there's too much on top and what have they now started doing they've just created a whole road on here so that they can get a, a, a bloody vehicle on here to, to pump concrete in. Ah. Oh my god. Okay, right. This is uh, plastic hinges. So if you remember last episode, we talked about materials. And we talked about elastic and plastic deformation. Elastic is where it kind of springs and it springs back into place. Plastic is essentially where you start... If you, a bit like when you bend a paper, it's permanently bent and it actually goes white. You can see the, the metal sort of starting to fatigue or, or sort of fail... Plastic hinge means that you're creating a hinge that is deforming permanently. Uh, that, um, so, so they're creating this. They've created this whole road. Um, they create the top, covering it with this IBAA, this this extra fill for the platform. The sides were not backfilled. This is con obviously contrary to the method statement. Um, Someone else saw the backfill was not going as per the method statement, but it didn't seem to register. I did spend an awful lot of time walking past it, walking round it, but did not forcibly tell someone else to get the sides filled in. So someone else presumably assumed the sides would be brought up, that he didn't get them brought up when he saw it throughout the day, and that he didn't communicate properly with someone else. A series of photos taken by someone else at the HMRI shows the IBAA being shy at the sides of the tunnel, and a commented on by someone else. Now I think, if I bring this up momentarily, I think we have a picture of this. So, I'm not sure. So, this, I think, is a picture with them partially, having partially brought the fill up. Thanks to um, the person on Twitter who sent me this picture. Um, they've then created, I think they create the, uh, they kind of started filling this with IBAA to then basically drive, the, to create a whole road to then pump concrete into the portal. I think that's essentially what was going on. Uh, this is from the bridge adjacent to it. So, there's a portal about to be constructed here. Um, oh my god, it's just, uh, yeah, not not good. Uh, what's with the exclamation mark after check? Fiona is asking. That's a very good question. Let's hop back here. Uh, actually, before we do that, let's just go back to our, our, our section so we know what's going on. Uh, it might be just be a proofing error. Where is checked? Checked. Uh, I can't see the word checked with an exclamation mark. It could be a. Where is it? Which paragraph? Tell me, Fiona, where is it? Which paragraph is this? We'll, we'll uh, anyway. Um, 
He gives his credence. So a series of photos taken by the uh, person from the HMRI shows the IBA uh, being shy at the side of the tunnel and are commented upon by someone else. This gives credence to the six end around the tunnel with IBA on the top, but missing from parts of the sides. So-and-so never thought the tunnel would collapse, even with the extra IBA on the top of the tunnel. Well, it doesn't matter what they think. The point is that they've done gone against a method statement and their actions are causing it to fail. Um, in the afternoon of the 30th of June 2005, uh, Jackson's project manager went out to the site to get some photographs from a magazine. He took the very last photos of the tunnel standing at about three o'clock. He spoke to someone else inquiring as to what was going on atop the tunnel. Um, someone else, that's another name that should have been redacted, um, told him that he had been instructed to do the work uh, by someone else of Jackson's. I build the access road and then backfill the sides. Someone else was content, according to someone else, but reminded the latter to backfill the sides as soon as the top road was finished. Uh, whoops, that's wrong. Uh, again, someone else corroborates this account. Um, someone else says that... I'm saying someone else a lot because these are all redacted names. They should have put the roles here, not the names, because then the roles could stay in place. Um, normally, they would have backfilled the sides of the tunnel with IBA before placing the IBA on the top of the tunnel. Yes, absolutely. Someone else takes a contrary view in his category and he says he told him to get the sides filled in immediately, though he did not check that his instructions had been carried out. Uh, yikes. So interestingly, Costain, who then ended up building the final tunnel, were in charge of the store construction itself. They were direct subcontractors to Jackson's at this point. Uh, weird. They had no part in the tunnel construction or backfilling. Um, someone from Costain's note that noted that 6N had been placed around the tunnel section roughly opposite his site offices. He thought it was perhaps a metre thick all around and had been placed there up to a week before the collapse. He saw a doze on the 30th of June 2005 spreading IBA over the top of the tunnel, though there was minimal IBA over the 6N on the sides of the tunnel. So here again, what's happening here is that we're seeing um, there's, there's n nothing here, nothing here, and yet more stuff being heaped on top just pushing this further down, increasing this gap here, right? Which we know it ended up increasing to 200 millimeters, which is putting severe strain on basically creating hinges here. You know, if you create a little archway, if I create a little archway of paper and then kind of push on it with my nose, you'll see that it creates, how can I do this? If I do this, no, you know what? Let's let's do let's do a little now. Let's go big face. Yeah, let's go big face briefly. You'll see what I mean. Here is an arch made with some paper. Uh, if I, uh, push on the top you can see if I push on the top there you can see it creates a kind of a square shape it's creating that those those hinges and eventually those hinges you know that they, they become pins and the thing just rotates to its doom that's what's going on right does, does that make sense um uh, yeah it's it absolutely should be roles instead of names role is obviously important but it's really frustrating and annoying that they do that isn't it but anyway uh, right so that's that's what's going on there we're, we're getting there folks don't worry oh my goodness so um, there was no fill-up of the whole road between the whole road to the end of the site was compacted with IBAA. Um, apparently, apparently there was yeah, so minimal uh, IBA over the six end of the side. Tunnel fine. The whole road to the end of the site was compacted IBAA. There was no fill above the whole road uh, between the sides of the tunnel and the embankment. Um, someone else also noted they were having problems with IBAA and that there was nowhere to store it. Oh, there's another exclamation mark. You can see the HSE exec, like the HSE investigators are like, what the is going on here they're putting exclamation marks in which would have got kind of sanitized out in the final version they're, so they were struggling to bring in iba to fill the sides up because they didn't have anywhere to store it this is just like layers upon layers of incompetence and negligence like frightening frightening levels of incompetence and negligence here um 
corroborated by another person from Reynolds installations who states, I thought it was odd that there was not much at the sides, whereas the, in the main body of the site, the sides had been filled in before the top of the tunnel was covered. Yeah, so that one bit of the tunnel further up, they'd filled up the sides already and done, kind of done it according to the method statement. Um, but they basically kind of lost track of that by the time they reached the, the area that it, it failed, so further along the site. There's a picture, an aerial picture in a minute that explains that. In fact, you know what, I'll shove it up now because it kind of explains the point. Um, yeah, so this bit, you can see they'd already been building on this bit. So they'd, And here you can see where they've already been kind of placing the fill overall. But at this point, there's very little fill on the sides, and they've got this, they've kind of created this hole road in, in that IBAA here, which is where it's obviously failed. And, and here you can see, in the, where I've just drawn these circles or these ovals, there's a distinct lack of fill material. So you can see that kind of what's going wrong here. Um, anyway, let's go back to our picture and then back to our lovely PDF. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on with this. So, because uh, I need to wrap this up very very soon. Um, yeah. So clearly, this is a problem. Uh, there's the, the 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 specification. The kind of the highway specification said that um, they should be constructed evenly over their full width and to their fullest possible extent. So we know that this is a problem. Uh, White Young Green confirms this requirement as part of the project specification. White Young Green were last on site on the 10th of June and had no site role throughout. Their contract specifically included this. Kind of rightly so. It's not Consultants aren't competent, really, to be making decisions on site like that. Um, not in that way, anyway. Um, it should not be forgotten that apart from trains beneath the backfilling operation, there were also contractors working in the tunnel, like Carillion staff working on catch pits and a supervisor. They exited at about four o'clock when the tunnel lighting became faulty. Oh God! So the tunnel lighting is starting to become a problem. Is that because there's it's it's having cables are being pulled because this thing's deforming so much? My God! The access road for the pump was finished about quarter past four on the thirtieth of June two thousand four. So this is IBAA placed just over the top of the the crest of the crown, um, and then backfilling of the sides commenced, and continued to about quarter to six. There was no sign of distress inverted commas distress uh, when they left though earlier. Uh, that doesn't make much sense. On the 23rd to 28th of June. There were no sign of distress. Yeah, that doesn't make much. Again, proofing issues. This is a draft report. Um, this is also scary. So earlier that day, a four-foot-wide section of 6N had been dug out on the south side, roughly where the tunnel collapsed. Uh, what, what, why are people digging into the fill? What, what, what are they doing here? So this is roughly the interface between what collapsed and what stood. This was to repair a leak. So someone who was unable to be tracked down as part of this investigation, who's employed by, well, someone's name that's not been successfully redacted, by, by, by Gary. Either Gary, we, you and I should have done a better job when we went through this. Oops. Um, it's fine. No one knows who these people are anyway. Um, someone employed by one of the contractors um, who was in charge started digging through the 6N, which, as we know, is the critical component to holding the whole thing up. They just started digging a hole in it. Oh my goodness. Um, this was backfilled as it was later decided that this might unbalance the tunnel in terms of asymmetrical side loading. Oh, yeah, it might. My God. Um, on the evening of the 30th of June 2005, approximately half seven, um, a tunnel. Uh, uh, what? Let's just. They've copy pasted this from elsewhere. We know that it basically failed. Basically, it failed. Um. Uh, so, okay, there's some trains. It tells us about what trains and, and how that happened. Fine, weather. It transpired that 28... 
sections had initially collapsed below the proposed car park area. Um, a further section collapsed overnight, resulting in the collapse of, in total, 14 units on the north side and 15 sections on the south side. Um, the fill profile over the adjacent damaged units that did not collapse shows approximately 2.5 metre fill over the crown, with 2 to 2.5 at the haunches. Um, and they've got that access road sloping down. Um, yeah, and then a further 16 units were subsequently removed due to damage, etc. Hence, the initial collapse area was about 90 feet long and then increased to 138 feet. Nobody was hurt, thankfully. Um, so, the report entitled Gerard's Cross Tunnel Collapse Review Document Final Issue, dated 12th of August uh, 2005, signed off by the Managing Director of Jackson's and of someone from White Young Green, is of interest as follows. Network Rail's view on the cause of the collapse was inadequate fill material around the arch haunches compared to the fill directly over the crown. In their opinion, this was a classic mode of failure with the arch deflecting under the weight of the back fill over the crown with insufficient fill to the sides to resist the forces. Consequently, plastic hinges formed at the haunches and this allowed the crown pin to snap through or dislocate and result in collapse. The report's own view on page 16 is the units failed by creating a plastic hinge on the concrete units to the quarter point. I'm fairly certain they start. They tried to conflict. They basically tried to blame the macrete, you know, the, the concrete. Um, I'm getting the feeling that's what they were moaning about. So, da 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 da. da. So that I think there's a load of stuff saying that there's uh, crown levels are between 123 and 281 millimeters below those indicated at design stage. Uh, on average, they're about 250 millimetres lower in the loaded area and 150 millimetres lower in the unloaded area. Predicted deflection limit under the dead load um, should have been 40 millimetres. Um, some muggins, who uh, Gary's had to redact the name of because the HC didn't, says you can't control the crown level. I bet that's the same person who said oh, it's some, there must be some tunnel geometry issue. Um, incredible. Cord lengths for the concrete section. Okay, it's basically saying what the shape would be. Um, so it's saying that if the concrete sections varied substantially, you might end up with a, a 55 millimeter lowering of the crown level. So that's kind of this idea. I'm guessing that's what Jackson's were kind of trying to suggest might have been a problem. Um, however, the following paragraph on this page seems to indicate sections conform to the geometric tolerances for cord length. In essence, they appear to be correct in the Macri quality assurance documentation, but they were short at sight, or someone is saying that they're short at sight. So it's clear that Jackson's have tried to say that the, those sections have caused a pro were, were the things that caused the problem. That's well. That's 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 what I'm getting the vibe from here. Uh, Mike, was that the was that the um, uh, was that the excuse? Was that was that the general line you were given to try and uh, get them out of this? Uh, anyway, so whew, let's keep going through here. Um, so lots of kind of results showing that, that of why that failure happened, and then this is just picking up the pieces. This is the information kind of going through. Um, yeah, there we go. It should be noted, an early draft of this report dated uh, 29th of July 2005. Uh, oh, there, the executive summary was present, while it's the final report, it was not present. Um, they, yeah, so that 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 report was created has got rid of the executive summary to make it a bit harder for people to read. Again, just obvious that Jacksons are covering their we're covering their arse here. Uh, the engineering team reviewers concluded that the cause of the collapse was due to the placing of too much type when they fill over the area of the crown of the tunnel prior to placing compact insufficient material. Well, we know that. Um, yeah, the filling operation was a departure from Jackson's planned fill regime, and already they had they had made some dubious changes to the proposals anyway by using one, you know, this this IBAA type one A fill. Um, and then, according to Atkins, post collapse, they said the tunnels should have fallen down if Jackson backfilled it in the way they did. Atkins, uh, blah 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 blah. 
Um, Atkins Atkin said that the, that the tunnel was not really compliant anyway, that the, the design was not particularly great. Um, um, yeah, and then Rico said the tunnel collapsed because the crown was overloaded. There's insufficient backfill on the sides to maintain it. And I think my diagram and you reading through this shows that um, uh, what's happened, really. It's pretty pretty shocking. So, so yeah, this happened. Uh, and, and, as, and they added more and more and more here. And obviously then this just kind of went... And uh, and as we know, it just collapsed in itself. Down it went, straight onto the railway. And you can see the increasing deflections here. Just just an absolute shambles. Yeah, the lighting here. I wonder if that lighting was being impacted by this this plastic deformation, this creation of, of essentially a hinge here. You know, this is supposed to be a nice arch like that, and it's as you can see forming these hinges. Um, not good. Uh, there are some big holes, and people are walking out to look at the big holes. Uh, what an absolute mess. Uh, and it could have been a horrendous two-train crash. Um, uh, last document investigation report is the report itself that I'm going through. Uh, no, I think there's another investigation report that, that was, that's not, again, not been included. There are other investigation reports that were done by individual organizations. Uh, yeah, here you go. So here's them digging out the hole. And you can just see there's, there's no fill here. There's, there's no fill. There's no fill here. Just, there's not enough fill. It's not evenly covered course the thing collapsed shambolic absolutely shambolic so yeah again you can sort of see the layout here this is where it failed um so this is the area where they've been placing the the kind of the 1a this is where the gaps are obviously it was going to collapse uh and just basically to end that that's it we know what's happened uh you know, we're gonna let's, let's round this off very quickly and, and some thoughts but lucas big shout out to lucas ainsworth who is the hero of the piece for chasing this report up lucas everyone is clapping you uh, eagerly absolutely sensational work um, you can download uh, the report, thanks to Lucas's intrepid adventures. You can download that report and look for yourself and pick out any other gems you want to and lose hair over it. Um, at the Railways Archive, Gary Keener put it up onto the um, the archivist, as he likes to call himself, put it up onto the Railways Archive. So you can go onto the Railways Archive and download that uh, to search Jarrah's Cross Tunnel Collapse Railways Archive and you'll find it. Um, it is seriously shocking that this report was never made public it's shocking that this happened it's just unending layers of deep contractor negligence it's just staggering staggering stuff i mean let's go let's go briefly go big face because i'm going to wrap this one up very quickly um but i mean just yeah lots of plaudits to to, to lucas just absolutely knocking it out of the park if anyone wants to pick up the, the baton from lucas and get those other bits of report and get the you know get every report that that document references and get the, the redacted pages or the, the clipped pages out of the health and safety executive get it all out of them and um because they've scanned it it was a paper document that they've scanned so they've done the redacting they've done pulling the rear pages out anyway there's work to, there's more work potentially to be done on this but um yeah i might pull that that might be a fun shout at Ros and the crew if you want that to turn into a wtyp because it could be a fun one and, and i'd kind of break I'll, I'll break it into the narrative a bit more clearly and, and kind of do it you know set it up that way i think it'd be a bonus episode because it's obviously a slightly silly thing but it's it's funny um shocking though i i think we've seen i'm not going to say who's to, who's to blame because i think it's pretty obvious who's to blame um and i think it's quite obvious a succession of of cultures within that organization that led to and i have to say they're not unique to to that contractor other contractors do do similar things so pretty shocking pretty shocking state of affairs um but hopefully that has told you exactly what happened hopefully that has, has laid bare what happened at gerard's cross tesco tunnel everyone um 
Thanks for listening to this, audio-only listeners. I don't know how that worked. Hopefully reasonably well for you, but uh, continue listening. The last episode just went up uh, as well for those who are watching. If you listen to it as well, and you you know some people do both, which is very strange. Um, Patreon.com slash Patreon.com slash to support me doing more of this fun stuff and getting potentially sent to court by Jacksons. Um, uh, the the just giving page will be up shortly, I'm sure. PayPal.me slash to for loose change. GaffNest.uk slash Discord for the Discord server to discuss this even more greatly. Um, and GaffNest.uk slash merch for the merch. Which you can get. I'm seeing lots of nice pictures of the mugs appearing everywhere, which is good fun. Uh, send me more things that you want to see. Next week, uh, we're going through um, a couple of Scottish railway crashes in Putlockery and Pershore that I think are interesting for us to think about. Lesser known railway crashes. They didn't result in any fatalities, thankfully, although quite a few injuries. Um, there aren't many pictures of them, sadly. Um, here's a picture that I've mildly photoshopped the Alami watermarks off. Um, uh, it's just a preview, and I'm kind of converting the thing anyway. Um, uh, there's never going to be a full version of the report because I don't think the health and safety executive. Uh, I don't think the health and safety executive ever actually created a final report. I think it's just that draft. Hmm. But maybe there is a final report and they just never published it. Who knows? It'd be good to see a final one, wouldn't it? Anyway, next week, episode 166: Two Scottish Railway crashes in Pitlochry and Pershore. What can we learn from these? Hmm. Who knows? Everyone. That was uh, a flying tour, but we're gonna we're gonna go. Um, actually, you know what I'm gonna do is very quickly uh, put in. Uh, Lucas is worth. There we are. There, good. Put put someone's name in the credits who should have been there at the start. Um, oh, you know what? I, it's fine. The ICO are just doing their job. But Lucas went absolutely above and beyond. Shout out to Lucas. Anyway, um, adios everyone. Uh, I'll see you next week. This one's gone half an hour too long, which is bad. So I'm gonna go. Cheerio, cheerio.